0: In this week's Torah portion we read of Yaakov transporting his family and his belongings across the river Yabok. In chapter 32, Perak Lamed Bays, we read the following in Pesach verse 25. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. There are numerous commentaries that explain the words and Jacob was left alone. The Talmud in the Tractate of Chulin, paraphrased in Rashi's explanation, tells us that Jacob remained alone to collect some small jugs he had left behind. This explanation is alluded to in the word levadoi, alone. As the Teisvis teaches, do not read the word as levadoi, he remained alone, Rather, read it L'Kadai, he remained to collect jugs. Then there is the explanation given in the Midrash Bracious Rabbah, where we learn that, just as it is written regarding God in the book of Isha'iah, in Perekbeis chapter 2, verse 17, Pesach Zayin, Veniskov Hashem L'Vadai, the Lord alone shall be exalted, so it is too with Yaakov. Jacob remains alone, And this comparison speaks to the exaltedness of Jacob in his aloneness. We've often discussed how the explanations on Torah regarding one verse, certainly regarding a single word, all have an integral connection. So what is the connection between the two explanations we quoted, the Gemara and the verse from the Navi Yeshaya? In fact, at first glance, they seem contradictory According to the Talmud, Jacob remained alone because of small jugs, not a very significant or val- valuable thing to remain behind for For jugs. The Midrash, on the other hand, says that the words in Jacob remained alone are representative of the loftiest possible level connected to the revelation of the one God that will be manifest in the era of redemption when on that day God alone is exalted. And this is brought in reference to Jacob and alludes to his greatness. Let's look for an answer to this seeming contradiction in the connection that exists between the Torah portion and the festival of Yotas Gislev, as the Holy Shalom writes that the festivals of the year are alluded to in the Torah portions read in the weeks that these festivals are celebrated. Yotes Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, is a yom have celebrated most years, as the year in which the secha was delivered, in the week in which the portion of Vayishlach is read. So the essence of the festival of Yotes Kislev is alluded to in the portion of Vayishlach, and in particular, in our discussion. To best understand this, we can preface with the following introductory thought. The reason for the revelation of Hasidic teachings only in later and lesser generations, is twofold. One is because of the intensity of the darkness that increased in the latter generations, particularly in our time, the generation that hears the footfalls of Mashiach, which mandates and requires a higher light to overcome this intense and difficult darkness. The second reason is based upon what is written in the writings of the Arizal, quoted in the Mogad Avram, and in the Shulchan Aruch, the Alter Rebbe, whose redemption we celebrate on Yoteski Slave, as a halacha, that just as one must taste of the foods prepared for Shabbos on Erev Shabbos, as we await the arrival of Shabbos, doing so is a merit, so too we have the obligation in these final generations of exile, awaiting the coming of Moshiach, the Erev Shabbos, to the era that will usher in an eternal Shabbos, to taste the ray of light that is drawn from the revelation of the inner teachings of Torah that will yet be fully revealed through our righteous Redeemer Mashiach that is available to us at this time. Within these two different explanations, we find two extreme distinctions, much like in the explanation of the words, and Jacob remained alone. According to the first explanation, the light of Hasidus is available because the darkness is so great now, indicating that these latter generations are lowly generations that need the light. On the other hand, the second explanation tells us that the revelation of Hasidus in our time is because the time itself is loftier as we are in, so to speak, the pre-Shabbos holiness that comes after Midday on Friday, and we are already able to, to taste of the revelations to come. How do we understand these two seemingly discrepant explanations? It's known that Yitzchak Kislev achieved the beginning of the essential work of spreading the wellsprings of Hasidus, to all Jews, even to the farthest. This expression has often been discussed to be understood as the wellsprings themselves must reach the chutzah, flow to that which is farthest. It's not sufficient for the wellsprings to have an impact on the chutzah while the wellsprings remain in place. Rather, these wellsprings must be found in the farthest most places. Additionally, the wellsprings must be available in these far-reaching places, in a way that they become vastly spread and vastly absorbed in every detail of these far-flung and distant outposts. And like all aspects of Torah, understandably, this means that this deep penetration of the inner aspects of Torah for the Jews who find themselves in this Chotzah begins with their revelation within Nigla, within the revealed Torah, merging the two, the inner teachings of Torah and the revealed teachings of Torah, to be experienced ultimately as one. Even before the time of the Altareba, there were greats among Israel who were steeped in both parts of Torah, in the revealed teachings and in the hidden teachings of Torah. And while their study of the concealed and hidden parts of Torah impacted their study of Nigla, transforming it, yet they continued to study these as two distinct teachings, as the esoteric, the hidden, and the exoteric, the revealed, the Alter Rebbe achieved the union of the two, connecting Nigla and Nister to be one study of God. Now, as a Jew is bound up with Torah, and more than that, it is our very life, so that a Jew and Torah are indeed one, we can understand that just as your may no spreading the wellsprings outward, has united the concealed and the revealed Torah, this bond has taken root, too, within man himself and within the very soul of the Jew, unifying one's concealed and revealed aspects of soul. Indeed, it's true that even before the revelation of Torah the the concealed aspect of the soul, the light of faith, A faith that transcends intellect, impacted upon a Jew's power of intellect, upon a Jew's thoughts, and upon a Jew's qualities and values, even his actions. And no doubt they were different because of this, yet the faith remained concealed and beyond a true cognitive experience. The Alter Rebbe's achievement was that one's faith, Imuna, and one's Kabbalah's all acceptance of God's will, which are both transcendent and super rational experiences, really, became integrated within man completely so that Jew can absorb and grasp ideas that are really super rational and beyond the cognitive or the intellectual experience. And, just as it is for each individual Jew where the inner soul and the outer experience of soul have become as one through Hasidus, so it is too for the collective soul experience of all Jews as a people who are described as a one complete spiritual structure. Before the revelation of Hasidus, the leaders of the Jewish communities of Israel who represent the consciousness of the Jewish people and the Torah study of the people were separate from the communities. Though they certainly had a deep influence on their communities, whether through the Torah they taught or just by the people observing their good behaviors, from which they could take a lesson, they were isolated from the chutzah, remaining alone, separate from those who were further removed from Torah, outside and far away figuratively. There was influence from a distance the work of Yefuzo Mein Hosecha, chutzah caused, that these leaders among the people and for the great Torah scholars to come out of that state of separation and isolation and of a state of living removed and separate from the Jewish communities and brought them into the Chutzah, teaching and guiding in the language of those in the Chutzah on the outside in a language familiar to them, to those whose education was poor until then. More so, in fact, because the wellsprings need to reach into every aspect and detail of the outside, it's understood that the generational leaders became involved in the physical needs and daily minutia of the Jewish communities, as we know from our Abayim. Torah is, in fact, the soul of the entire universe. Our sages teach that the world was created for the Torah, which is called Reishis, the beginning of everything. Thus we understand that as Yutesch Kislev accomplished a new and novel understanding of Torah, consequently a novel change impacted the world. How do we experience this? It is known that in the world which by nature conceals divine revelation, we are able to access only the godly light clothed within creation. This would happen through our focused and intentional contemplation of nature by which we could arrive at a recognition and a consciousness that there is indeed a creator. But while we could access this light of elohim we could not access the light of Havaya, which is beyond this world. And though the revelation of Havaya exists in this world by the miracles which have occurred in this world from time to time, nevertheless, this light is not organic to this world and a miracle actually messes with nature and with the world. Hasidus achieved the revelation of a transcendent light in this world. Therefore, Hasidus explains godliness in a manner that is absorbed by human intellect via parables that are of this world teaching how the world is indeed unified with divine light that transcends world. This, in fact, explains what the Altareva meant when he writes in his famous letter that God caused wondrous and grand events in the world in regards to the events that brought about the redemption of Yotas slave. We can develop this thought according to the two ways in which God runs the world. One is through events that occur in a natural order, within which godliness cannot be seen, because the event comes via the name of God, which denotes which denotes nature, elohim Then there is a clear and revealed divine providence. Within the natural events that occur, one can recognize the godly life force, and the divine light, and the providence within natural events. The influence for these events is from the ineffable name of God, Shemavaya. There are actually several distinct ways that the revelation of Shemavaya is experienced in moments of divine providence. There are, so to speak, smaller experiences. This is when the divine providence is experienced within a natural event. And what we experience is an awareness that there was divine providence in this event. And there is a grand experience. When godliness is experienced in an event that is not quite as natural, but even the grand experience of revealed godliness has an association with that smaller experience, it is of the same category of revelation. It's only a grander experience, perhaps a, perhaps a much greater experience, but not yet completely removed from the natural world. That would be an event that is a wonder, something that occurs that is completely separated from from the natural order of the world. These three revelations of Hawaii in this world are connected to three categories in the realm of miracles. The first is the category of miracle that is enclosed in nature, and one cannot even recognize the miraculous, like the miracle of Purim, where the miracle appears as a series of historical events and circumstances that led to a great resolution Though this miracle is influenced by the name Havaya, the divine providence of the event is experienced in small measure, and this would then be, so to speak, a smaller revealed miracle. Then there are revealed and obvious miracles, but they occur within nature, like the conquering of Eureka by Yoshua, which began with a miracle of the wall tumbling down, a miraculous event, followed though with a nation having to fight a war and win a battle by natural means. The battle with the Midianites in Moshe's time is an even more distinct example of this. When an army was mobilized, yet not one Jew fell in battle. A war, which is a natural event, but with no fatalities, which is an unnatural event. A miracle within nature. This brings to mind the well-known story of a Jew who was very ill, who came to the altar for a blessing. All the doctors he saw had been unable to help him, the Alter instructed him to eat half a shmur matzah with water and he was healed the details are contradictory the Alter instructed him to do something physical to heal to eat matzah with water but eating shmur matzah with water has no connection to the health of a person who doctors have given up on however as we mentioned this treatment was beyond nature it was a miracle it was within nature using nature to manifest a miracle beyond nature. The third category are miracles that have no purchase in nature at all. Like when the king of Asher came and surrounded, the king Cheskio who said, I will rest in my bed and I will be victorious and God will win this war for me. This was the intention of the Alter in his description of the miraculous redemption of Yitz slave. There were two types of miracles that took place, a miracle that truly was wondrous, defying and beyond nature, and grand, a miracle that had purchased in nature. The revelation of the light of Hasidus and Yitz slave achieved that not only a glimmer of Havaya, smaller and within nature, not only a grand experience of Avaya that still has some connection to nature, but there was a wondrous miracle that transcended nature completely. Yet, the phrase in total, as the Alteneba quotes it is, God caused wondrous and grand events in this world. Those concluding words words, in this world tell us that the intention and the purpose of the Torah of Hasidus is to draw down the wonders of God, to draw the divine lights that transcend nature, this highest level of consciousness, into nature and world itself. The Altarab, in fact, continues this letter and says God's name was glorified publicly in the eyes of the Russian ministers and world leaders who could witness and recognize that there were wondrous divine miracles that led to his release. It is known that the power to connect the esoteric and the revealed aspects of Torah Though Torah compartmentalizes them into two parts, clearly indicated by the way these parts of Torah refer to, there is Sosim, the inner esoteric part of Torah, which according to Torah is unrevealed, comes from the very essence of the inner aspect of Torah that the Altarebbe made accessible to us. The difference between the concealed and the revealed parts of Torah exists in the Hispastus, the suffusion of Torah, It's in the suffusion that Torah becomes formatted and defined. But in its essence, there is no definition and no partition in Torah. The essence of Torah is the essence of both the esoteric and the exoteric, which is why they can be bonded. Hasidus went beyond both to the very essence of both. In halacha, an example of this would be that within mitzvahs, there are mitzvahs that are considered greater and lesser in transgressions whose consequences are harsher or less so. Yet, there is a clear determination in halacha that one who says that Torah is not from God, even if he suggests that one verse in Torah is not from God, or even a word, or if he claims that Moshe said this on his own, not by God's directive, he is considered a heretic. And the same is true if he denies the truth of the oral Torah. No difference is made here between the esoteric words or the exoteric, between the revealed or concealed commentary. It's the same regarding a Jew. As we mentioned earlier, that the impact of bonding, the revealed and the concealed, impacted the inner, the super-rational and outer experience, the rational of the Jewish soul too. Through the revelation of Hasidus, which brought forth the essence of the inner Torah, and not just the esoteric, but the essence of the esoteric, the essence of soul was revealed. What is a soul in essence? The level of Echida, where there is total connection to God, defined by nothing and obliterated by nothing, thereby unifying the two aspects of soul, internal and external. In our divine work, this means that Amunah, faith, and Kabbalah's soul, the acceptance of God's will, both super-rational experiences, must permeate a person's innermost consciousness, because revealed essence of soul reveals the essence of all facets of soul and consciousness, impacting the entirety of an individual. This would be true, too, of the entire people of Israel, the one structure that is all of Israel, all Jews in union at the revealed level of the communal level of Yechida, which reveals our essence as a people, not only as individuals, revealed by the al Rebbe, in other words, via Yotesque slave, on the day of the al Rebbe's release, is why the leaders and the scholars of our people are one with the simplest of our people, for in the essence is the truth of our oneness. This then impacts the world in its entirety. When we are talking about defined lights and revelations in this world, there can be no bonding of transcendent godliness and world. It is only in God's essence that is the essence of all existence within which all of existence is incorporated, that there can there be creation, the reality of this world that is bonded in total oneness with God. The achievement of Yafutsa minus the unification of the source the wellspring and the world is most clearly obvious when the source appears in the densest and darkest reality that is not even a vessel for the light. But the wellspring flows from the source, from the very essence of all existence, and thus can fill and penetrate the densest darkness. And therein lies the connection between the two explanations that we gave earlier for why Hasidus became revealed only in latter generations due to the intense darkness and as a taste of the revelations of the future. The revelations of the essence of the inner Torah is expressed by its ability to light up even this dense darkness of these generations, transforming the darkness to light. And that is why the taste of the Torah of Mashiach, the post-midday Erev Shabbos light, is needed specifically when the darkness of exile grows so dense, double the intensity in darkness, When the footsteps of Mashiach are felt, it's through the foretaste of this light, the light of Hasidus, which is the light of the essence of Torah, illuminating the densest darkness, that the darkness itself can become a light. Accordingly, we can also now understand the connection between the two seemingly contradictory explanations on the words and Yaakov remained alone. The one that seemed to indicate that it was about small insignificance, and the second that compared the alone to the greatness of God's oneness. It is specifically through the redemption of the small jugs, representing the smallest or lowest sparks that yet await redemption out of their darkness, that the experience of, and God alone will be glorified, can be seen. No independent creation is separate from the essence of God or denies God's oneness. And as far as essential godliness, the essence of any creation only reflects the true source of the only existence.